Yeah. Boots on, skin pad ready. Ready, straight off the bench, straight into it, pumped, ready to go. Let's just open, get one in the back of the net tonight, yeah? It's great to be here this evening. And I really want to just uh, share with you a little of my story of faith and, and share from a fi- uh, favorite passage of God's Word. And see how the Word of God intermeshes and entwines with my life story. I was asked by uh, uh, Phil on Monday if I would share something that I spoke uh, about at Ilkeston. And, and as I was rereading the notes, I suddenly had a flashback. And I was a young boy again. And I remember an incident that happened when I must have been eight or nine years old. Now, I lived on Bowl Street at Mansfield, terraced housing. We weren't, you know, very rich, but I never went hungry. Always had a a new pair of shoes for the school term, so I was okay. But we didn't have much entertainment, so we always played out. And I, I know if you heard me speak last time, I talked about how I used to like cowboy films. John Wayne and things like that, Josh and... I've got me. Uh, <laughs> it's empty. I, 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 I've left it charging me. I'm, I'm firing blanks tonight. Uh, but I remember this incident, and this, and it just came back so vividly. And please, just bear with me. There's a reason why I'm telling this story. And if you can use your imagination, can you picture me as um, eight or nine year old? And there I am playing with my mate Andy, and I was always getting in trouble from my mum. So I used to pinch a best yellow dusters. Because I used to use it as a neckerchief. <laughs> because I was playing US cavalry. And the US cavalry always had a yellow neckerchief. So I was always getting in trouble from my mum for pinching a best dusters. And here, me and my mate were in the US cavalry. I pinched two dusters, one for me and one for my mate Andy. And we're fighting, having a real gun battle with some renegade Apaches. There were quite a few renegade patches around Bowl Street that were causing a real nuisance. And we were playing this game, and all of a sudden, Andy went down, mortally wounded. And he did this Oscar-winning performance of slow motion, falling to the ground, crying out, ah! Oh no, my best mate had died. He'd been killed. And so I made him comfortable. I, I, I put his arms across his, his chest, and his laid across the pavement. You can imagine we've got terraced housing here, a few cars parked, and I'm stood at his foot, at his feet, his head towards the road, with my bugle, <laughs> saluting, doing the last post. <laughs> and this woman starts walking up. And she's walking up the street, and she sees us, and she's got five carrier bags in her hand, and she's walking up the street, and she sees us. Weren't women strong in them days? Five, quick save. Can you remember quick save? Quick, she had five carrier bags. And it's, it's so fresh in my memory. Five, and she stops because her path is blocked. So I'm... And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to stop. My best mate's just been killed by Geronimo. There's no way I'm going to stop. And she looks there and she went... And I saw this flicker of emotion go through effect. Oh, how cute. <laughs> and she got these heavy bags. And then this flicker of, oh, how cute, suddenly turned to frustration. Of course, these bags were obviously heavy. 
And then they went to a bit of resentment, really. So she's looking at me. We're not moving. So she steps over him. And I just saw this flicker of resentment and anger, annoyance. And off she went. And I'm saying, God, why did you bring this memory? And I can describe it to you. I mean, it's so, so vivid. And, and I remember this happening. And I said, well, God, why have you brought this flashback to me, this, this memory, this moment frozen in time? And I just got a sense that, that God was saying, isn't that sometimes how the world views the church? See, this woman was not engaged in the game I was in. She did not understand what I was doing or the reason why I was doing it. She saw me as an inconvenience, something blocking her walk. She became frustrated and annoyed when I didn't stop or acknowledge her but carried on just doing what I wanted to do without giving any thought to her problems, her heavy bags. Is the church sometimes like that? Have we become so tied up with what we are doing, what we are involved in, that we fail to stop and help and engage with those who are heavy laden? You may be saying, well, that's an interesting story, but what's it got to do with anything? Well, I suppose looking back now, if me and my mate had offered, had jumped up and had offered to carry her bag, she would have gone away a lot happier. You see, I have learned over the years of my Christian walk that it is not as much what you say to people about God and about church that has an effect on people. It is more what you do for people. That has the most effect. It has taken me a while to understand this. You see, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own problems and church agendas that we fail to see the opportunities that are presented to us almost on a daily basis to be God's hands and witnesses of his grace and mercy. All of us have a great story to tell. If only we would take the time to tell it to someone. But sometimes we need to earn the right to tell the people our story. And often we can do that by just simply helping people. Sometimes we can give them a tract. Jesus sold the world. And that may be of some help. But actually carrying a heavy bag for them leaves more of an imprint, more of an impact. I would really like to... And then there's a saying, isn't there? There's got to be, for a testimony, there's got to be a test. We have some fantastic stories to tell of people who have been through testing times. People love to hear stories. You start quoting the Bible at them and very often they will switch off. But you start telling them a personal story. On Thursday night at our small group, I had some ladies who shared some personal, intensely intimate trials that they went through and have now come out victorious. People love to hear testimonies. We should never shy away from telling our testimony. And I'd really like you to take a few moments, share something that happened to me a few years ago. It'll be five or six years now. It's quite personal to me, and I didn't fully understand the implications at the time, but it's becoming clearer and clearer week by week. So let me just pray. Father God, this evening, would you send your Holy Spirit to minister to us, to settle our hearts and minds so that we can hear from you. May the word of God come alive in our lives and give us a new hope 
new beginnings, a fresh start, encourage us this evening to see what a great adventure lies before us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Liz and I had been Christians for something like 26 years. And we were going through a really challenging time at the church that we were at then. I was on the leadership team, <coughs> preaching regularly, leading the men's group, the men's ministry, small groups, being involved in all kinds of things. But we had been going through a real wilderness experience for the previous three years or so. I'm not going to bore you with the circumstances, of course, that's in the past, it's been dealt with, we've moved on. But we were really seeking God, pressing into his word and, the, and, and into his presence, asking God for help and guidance, what he wanted us to do, where he wanted us to go. We laid out a fleece for six months, we prayed long and hard, we went and see some uh, people we, that we loved and we respected, like Eric Madison, Brian Niblock, and just shared our, our heart, our frustrations, and just asked for guidance. And after a while, we decided that we were going to leave the church that we were at. Our church family, who we had shared life with for the past 15 years. Friends we had been on numerous holidays with. We decided to leave. And it was tough. It was heartbreaking. And one day, whilst in prayer, I had quite a vivid picture. And I, don't want, I, hope, I hope I don't come across super spiritual. We're always going off super spiritual. But God often talks to me through pictures. And I had this vivid picture of a brown terracotta pot. And it'd be about two foot high or so, and about eight to ten inches wide. And it was just a plain brown terracotta pot. And I know that in the Bible, in um, Jeremiah and in, in Isaiah, it talks about God being the potter. And we're the clay. So I just sort of kind of knew that this represented my life. Practical, functional, not, not attractive. I thought, yeah, that uh, sums me up, God. <laughs> I just knew that this represented my life. And, and I, I saw it, and then I looked inside this pot. And it was beautiful inside. They were beautiful, I mean beautiful colours. Beautiful, deep blues. Vibrant greens, beautiful reds, gold. I mean, the inside of it was beautiful. I'm saying, I can remember thinking, this vase is inside out. The beauty is on the inside rather than the outside. Why? Then I saw the vase fall to the floor. And it just shattered into thousands of fragments. And I thought, well, that's gone and done it. There's There's not enough super glue to put that back together. As I looked at these shattered pieces, I felt shattered. I felt broken inside. This was my life, my hope, my dreams of doing great things for God. Shattered and scattered. All my ambitions, my ministry, all those people slapping me on the back saying, what a great guy you are, Paul. Oh, what a great leader I was. Oh, was all that false? I remember calling out to God and asking, what is happening, God? After all that we have been through, trying to live according to your word, trying our best to help and encourage those around us, pouring our lives out to the church for the last 15 years, and now we're just feeling totally shattered, broken. Then I saw something else. I didn't fully understand the significance at the time, but I saw some nail-scarred hands reached down and gently 
pick up these fragments. And he took these broken fragments and he placed them into this mosaic roadway. This beautiful roadway that stretched far into the distance. It was gorgeous, beautiful colours. These pieces, these shattered pieces, just fit in perfectly into this roadway. Far into the distance it went. All the hurt and problems, all the confusion and heartache that I had endured in the past. Now Jesus, gently replacing all those shattered dreams, all those shattered false promises and all that stuff and placing it into this beautiful mosaic pathway for such a time as this. I heard those words when I first came to Arena and Phil said to me, Paul, for such a time as this. And it meant so much to me. And since I've been at Arena Church, this picture I had five, six years ago means more to me than it did then. And there may be other people here this evening who may feel shattered whose dreams and hopes and ambitions and plans seem to have fallen by the wayside. But let me encourage you. Keep focused on Jesus. Because he makes a way where there seems to be no way. Now, remembering this picture I've just shared with me, with you, let me just try and put that into context with the Word of God. And see how the Word of God gives meaning and understanding to our testimony. It gives encouragement and provides example for, examples for us to learn how to have a testing time and come through victorious. So if your Bible's with you, if you have got your Bibles with you, if you want to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 27, we're going to read the whole chapter. Obviously, I haven't got time to read the whole chapter tonight. So I'm going to skip read some of it, and hopefully some of the verses will come up on the screen. But it's Acts, chapter 27. Let me just set the scene. This is about uh, the Apostle Paul. And because of Paul's powerful preaching, he is stoned, he'd been stoned and left for dead. Because of his phenomenal ministry, he's arrested, thrown in prison, beaten with rods, a miraculous earthquake, frees Paul, but he refuses to flee and is begged to leave. He continues preaching the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and causes such a stir that he is again arrested, beaten by a mob, and arrested in prison. But as a Roman citizen, Paul appeal, appeals to be heard by Caesar at Rome. And that's where we're going to pick up this story. This is where we pick up Paul's story, Acts chapter 27. Paul is a prisoner in the custody of Roman centurion on board a ship, headed for Rome to see Caesar. However, because it was now late September, early October, Paul was concerned about the voyage and voiced his fears. Acts 27 verse 10 says this, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but our lives. A heartfelt fear. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and owner of the ship, perhaps because of profit, that they set sail, and sure enough, just as Paul had feared, a storm took hold of the ship. It was bad. For days they tried everything they could. They used cables to undergird the ship. They threw cargo overboard to light the ship. And even threw the ship's tackle overboard. It was bad. The storm was so bad that neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days. So not only were they wet, hungry, fearful, seasick, 
Now they were lost, unable to navigate to find out where they were. It was bad. At the end of verse 20, it says this, All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They had done everything humanly possible to save themselves. They finally come to the end of all their hope. The crew turning to their own gods and pleading with the God of the sea, the God of the wind, the God of the sun and moon, carved images, pleading for help. It was so bad. And I can imagine Paul and his companions praying, praying fervent prayers for hours on end for what must have seemed endless days tossed and blown about by the wind and waves in darkness, lost, afraid, all hope gone. It is hard for us to understand what they must have gone through. I can't imagine what they must have gone through being in the eye of the storm like that. I remember getting seats coming from Cali once, so that pales into insignificance what these guys went through. Oh, an experience, a life-changing experience. I'm sure most of us can experience something, perhaps not of the physical, but something of the spiritual storms or the emotional storms. Where we've been through life's emotional storms, we have tried everything humanly possible to get by, to break through, yet all hope seems gone. Family breakdown, relationships turmoil, misunderstandings that turn to accusations, Fallout among Christian brothers and sisters. Sickness and disease. Death of a loved one. The cloak of fear pressing heavy down. Prayers seem to just bounce off the walls of our circumstances. Praying for days without any apparent response. No one seems to be listening or able to help. Have you had stormy times in your life like that I know I am and here in this story Paul must have had that start of some doubts his serious concerns of setting sail was justified and things got bad then just when all had given up the hope God steps in God steps into the situation verse 21 to 26 it says this Paul stood in the midst of of them, the crew, and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed for Crete and incurred this this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid. (laughs) Do not be afraid. Understatement. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. For I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. The story goes on to explain that all 276 persons on board the ship were saved. The ship ran aground and was broken up by the pounding waves. But everybody on board managed to make it to shore and found that they had landed on the island of Malta. What a relief. Everything they've just been through, all the storms, all the fear, all the doubt, safe at last. Just when Paul must have thought all things were on the upturn, just when he thought he'd been beaten, 
the raging storm. Here it goes, it says in chapter 28, verse 2, it states that the natives showed unusual kindness. And because of the rain and cold, they kindled a fire, made everyone welcome. Acts 28, verse 3. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. My goodness. What, what must have Paul thought? After all he had been through, when he thought he'd beaten the raging storm, just beginning to get over the battering ram of the waves, just when he thought things were about to get that little bit better, just when the fear had subsided, just when hope had returned, bam, the viper strikes. And things go from bad to worse. And the snake doesn't just strike and let go, but clings on, fastens onto his hand. What must have gone through Paul's mind? His previous experience of being beaten and imprisoned for voicing his faith must have had some impact on his life. But now, after all that he'd gone through, just when you think it's as bad as it can ever get, the viper strikes. Friends, sometimes life is like that. Acts verse uh, 28 verses 4 said, The local natives saw this creature hanging from Paul's hand. And said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer who, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not bestow to live. They interpreted Paul's snake bite as the work of the goddess justice against Paul, who must in their minds be at least a murderer. The island, islanders were following worldly wisdom. Bad things happen to bad people. Yet Paul's response was a very matter-of-fact response. And he just shook the snake off and suffered no ill effects. The natives must have watched Paul intently, just waiting for the venom to take hold, to see it start coursing through his body. They must have been watching him, absolutely fascinated as to what's going to happen. They wanted to see him start sweating and shaking and moaning in pain as the venom coursed through his bloodstream, attacking his vital organs, waiting to see him fall down dead. Paul didn't listen to their words. He was not upset by their whispering. He took no heed of their sideways glances. And he certainly didn't take on board their fears because he held on to the promises of God. Paul shook off that which would try to stop him from doing what God had told him to do and clung on to the very word of God. Let me repeat that. Paul shook off that which would try to stop him from doing what God had told him to do and clung on to the very word, the very promises of God. Now, being so Jewish, Paul would have known the story of how the Israelites wandered around the desert for 40 years. Now, God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on the pole so that if anybody was bitten by a snake, all they had to do was look up at the bronze serpent and they would be healed. He would have heard about Jesus giving authority to his uh, disciples to tread on snakes and scorpions and they would not be hurt, harmed. And I believe Paul would have shook off that viper, raised his eyes from the circumstances surrounding him and looked to the cross of Jesus Christ holding on to the word and promises of God, remembering the conversation he had only a few days ago on the ship 
in the middle of the storm with God's angel and believing he had a purpose. Believing he had a destiny. Believing that he had a promise from God. He was on a mission for God. Paul did not sit there feeling sorry for himself. He didn't start moaning and complaining, Oh God, why me? Why? Why did, why did you let this happen to me? I was doing your work. I was being a servant and fetching the sticks for the people to put on the fire. And now this has happened. Why, God? Why? No. Paul just simply shook off the viper. And he went out and he ministered. And God miraculously healed people. Paul laid on hands that must have still bore the fang marks of the viper and he laid his hands on people and they were healed. Verse 28 verse 9 says, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So what do we do? What do we do when the viper strikes? When the spiritual viper strikes? When the viper of redundancy strikes? Just when you thought things were going to be alright through the credit crunch? Bang, here comes the P45. The viper of divorce or breakdown in relationship. Being through stormy times, just when you think things are getting slightly better, just when you think there's a glimmer of hope, bang, the viper strikes. Pain spreads, heartbreak and anguish. Just as you were serving others, fetching sticks for the fire, helping people, didn't even see it coming. A viper disguised as something else, something so innocent, but with deadly consequences. The viper of rejection, depression, bitterness, anger, lust, apathy, embarrassment, whatever it is that is trying to prevent you from doing what God has planned for you. What do you do when the viper strikes? Well, Paul shows us a great example. Make a decision. Be determined to shake it off. Don't let the viper keep on biting. Don't just stay, sit there and stare at the problem, but do something positive. Don't let that poison just keep on pumping poison into you. Shake it off. Do something. Then raise your eyes from the circumstances surrounding you. Look up to the answer to your problems. The cross of Jesus Christ. You may be going through a bad time. I don't know what's happening in your life. You may be saying, well, Paul, it's easy for you stood up there. You don't have to go through what I'm going through. You don't understand the heartbreak that I'm going through. Things are bad. You may be going through a bad time. But Jesus went through even worse. He was falsely arrested, falsely accused. He was teased and beaten, stripped naked and humiliated. It was bad. The guards made a crown of thorns and pushed it onto his head. So beads of blood started to trickle down his face. They beat him. They mocked him. They spat at him. They pulled the very beard from his face. It was bad. They whipped and flogged him so that his bones and intestines could be seen through the rips in his flesh. It was bad. They stretched him so that his shoulders were dislocated and they nailed him to a cross to die. It was so bad. It was so, so bad. 
that through what Jesus went through, we may know that when we face bad times, it can never be as bad. Jesus took the bad and came out the other side victorious, so that we too may know victory in our lives through trusting in him who went through so much for us. So when you are going through bad times, all hope gone, and then the viper strikes, be determined, be positive, shake it off. Don't listen to worldly advice, which can often bring confusion, but focus on Jesus Christ and his word, which brings clarity. Remember his promises, which offer hope and life. And be prepared to use your testimony, your story, to engage with people. People react to stories because they all have one. But we can use our knowledge of God to explain to people the hope we have in us during our testing times. Don't let the viper venom of doubt and fear cause you to stop you doing what you know you've been called to do. But choose to go and minister, scarred hands and all, in his name, in his power, in his authority. Amen.